Would you actually stand for the reading of God's word? <laughs> Make sure you're awake this evening. Luke chapter 23. We've been journeying through the book of Luke for the last 16 months. This is our 49th sermon in the book of Luke. And Sunday will be number 50 as we wrap things up. Uh, this comes from 23 verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There is also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you went to a criminal's cross. <laughs> the sentence that we should have paid. But you took that upon yourself so that we could be reconciled to you. So God, we ask that tonight our hearts and minds will be open. We thank you, God, just for your love and for your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. In every good story, there's a twist. You think a story is about one thing, but it's actually about something else. Um, since we've got a bunch of the kids in here tonight, I'm going to talk to the kids, and I'm going to need you to talk back to me a little bit. Can you guys do that? All right. How many of you in the room, kids and adults, how many of you love Disney movies? Yeah. How many of you love Pixar movies, which are Disney as well? But yeah, yeah. How many of you are excited for the new Incredibles movie coming out this summer? Do you know they're making another Incredibles? I love the Incredibles. Uh, I think we've got a picture of the Incredibles here. I love the mo this movie, The Incredibles. See, but the thing is, you think this movie is about a superhero family with superpowers saving the world. But actually, the movie is about a man kind of going through a midlife crisis and finding purpose, again, by leaning into his family instead of leaning away from his family. That's really what the movie's about. And they're just using superheroes as a vehicle for that. Uh, next movie. How many of you have seen this one? Star Wars. Any Star Wars fans in the room? Yeah. I totally meant to bring my lightsaber tonight and forgot it at home. So just pretend I had my lightsaber, because I thought, man, how often am I going to pull out a lightsaber on Good Friday? Well, I guess not. But you think Star Wars is all about cool lightsabers and spaceships and Jedi powers. You think it's about this big conflict between the dark side and the light. Actually, that movie's about the relationship between fathers and sons. You know, Anakin doesn't have a dad. Luke believes in the power of forgiveness. Kylo Ren has a bad relationship with his dad and kills him. Spoiler alert, sorry. 
That's what Star Wars is really about. It's about fathers and sons and their relationship and how that impacts young men. Uh, the next one. Here's a movie, uh, Harry Potter. It can be a little controversial, so I'm sorry if you guys don't allow your kids to watch that movie. Um, but you think it's a movie about wizards and dragons and, uh, you know, castles and all this stuff. Really, the story of Harry Potter is how self-sacrificial love is the strongest thing in the universe and how that breaks the power of darkness and sin and hatred. That's really what the movie is about. And see, the genius of Jesus, which is what we've been talking about, we talk a lot about the holiness, the love, but the genius of Jesus is that oftentimes, even when he's doing something, we think it's about one thing and it's actually about something totally different. And there's more to the story. There's more to the story. In week one of this series, if you were around, we talked about Zacchaeus, uh, how many of you guys were here for week one of our series, Zacchaeus? Yeah, and I heard a bunch of you gave feedback that the whole time I was preaching, you couldn't get the song out of your head. So I just thought, I'm going to sing it tonight. If you know the Sunday school song, Zacchaeus, sing it along with me. All right, ready? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up on a sycamore tree to see what he could see. And that's all I know. So... Good job, everyone. Give yourselves a hand. Good job. Right? We love the story of Zacchaeus. It's a short little guy. We talked about Danny DeVito in a robe, climbing a tree, gangster. But Jesus invites him into relationship. And yes, that story is about how Jesus is inviting people in and changing and transforming them. But at the very end of that story, there's a verse that we kind of just glided over week one of our series. And I want to hit that again. Verse 19, or Luke 19, verse 10. It's the very end of the story where salvation has come to the household of Zacchaeus because he has confessed his sin, he's offered restitution, and everyone is rejoicing. And it says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title for himself. He says, The Son of Man, I have come, to seek and save the lost. Why did Jesus come into our world? Was it to give us some great teaching, you know, turn the other cheek? Was it to be a great example for us? Did Jesus come just to kind of show us a new way to live? Right there, he's, he tells us why he came. And this funny little story about Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, it says the whole mission, why Jesus came. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. In Luke 23, what I read as we stood earlier, three different times people mock Jesus and say, Save yourself. Save yourself. Save yourself. But that's not why Jesus came to this world. He didn't come to save himself. And actually, Jesus, in that moment, while he's mocked to save himself, he does save someone. But it's not himself. At the very last, final hour of his mission, Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost. 
I want you to imagine with me. Imagine with me a young, a young boy. He grows up, maybe not in the best of circumstances, and maybe he doesn't have a father in his life. A young Jewish boy, first century. And he grows up, and he, he, he makes some bad decisions. And he starts running with the wrong crowd. And, you know, he's, he's heard of this guy, Jesus. He's maybe seen him preach. Maybe even this young man was there when Jesus fed the 5,000 with, with bread and fish. And he tasted of it. But he, you know, never really got too close to Jesus. And this young man, as he continued to make some bad choices, just gets in with the wrong crowd. And they decide one night, hey, there's this wealthy businessman, and he's out of town. Let's break in and steal all his valuables. And they get caught. And suddenly, his life is over. Because the sentence for that is death. And so, this young man heads towards his execution. And it was a common death. The Romans crucified thousands and thousands of people. It was, just, it was just normal, just what you saw all the time. And this young man knows exactly what to expect because he's seen it. Because the Romans, they would put people on crosses like this as a way to deter crime. As, as you were left hanging there for everyone to see, this is what happens if you murder or steal or stir up dissension against the empire. So this young man knows what's coming. And he heads towards his execution. And they drive the nails into his feet, into his hands. And we're not going to go into a lot of details, but on the cross, uh, you would slowly suffocate, and so you'd have to push yourself up to breathe. And as this young man's doing that, he looks over, and who's next to him? He's like, I think I've seen him before. I think I recognize him. But it's hard, because... He's got this crown of thorns on his head and his face is covered in dirt and blood. The Bible says you couldn't even recognize him as human anymore because they flogged his back so much. But finally, he, he recognizes who's next to him, hanging just like him on the cross as they're both pushing up to breathe, as both hang there for hours. It's Jesus. And he's heard about Jesus. He's kind of seen him. But he doesn't know Jesus. But Jesus knows him. In verse 42, this young man, as he hangs on his cross next to Jesus, says, Jesus, <laughs> remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in that moment, he recognized this bloody, crucified rabbi was the Messiah. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. I think when Jesus said that, it's not just the hope that after they die off this gruesome death that 
they'll go to heaven. I think in that moment, I think heaven entered into them. Even in the midst of a horrible, horrible suffering and pain, that young man was truly in paradise with Jesus because he was with Jesus. And see, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Have you ever wondered why Jesus died on a cross on that day, on that Passover? Why that year? Why that day? I've thought about that many times. Like, like why AD 33? Like, I don't know, you know? Uh, why that year in particular? What, what was it about that day that Jesus had to die on a cross? Like, he, it could have been any time, right? Why that day? This week, something finally hit me. Jesus knew this young man. Jesus knew this young man, who'd maybe run with the wrong crowd, made some bad decisions, would get arrested, would die on a criminal's cross. Jesus knew when the young man was going to die. I think Jesus said, I've got to go to the cross on that day to seek and save that young man at that hour. See, Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the world, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus doesn't just love all the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Now, these statements are absolutely true. Here at Mosaic, our goal is that it's very hard to live in Maple Grove and go to hell. (laughs) We want that to be our goal. And here in Mosaic, we love all the little children of the world, and we strive to be a diverse community, a beautiful mosaic that reflects the creative goodness of God. But there's more to the story than that. See, Jesus doesn't just love all the world. Jesus loves every single individual. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. Jesus loved that young man who was crucified next to him so much that in Jesus' final moments, he's seeking and saving the lost. Yes, Jesus loved that young man enough to go to the cross on that day at that time to save him. Jesus went to the cross to save each and every one of us. If Jesus would go to the cross at that time to cross that distance to save that young man, where can you go that Jesus won't follow to pursue you? Whatever you've done, whatever's been done to you, Jesus will follow I'm going to try something here, which we'll see how it goes. All right, kiddos, I'm done being serious for now. So here, I'm going to teach you how to make a magic airplane. Are you in for this? All right? All right? We're going to see how this goes. This color is called Liftoff Lemon. It is the official color of QBQ and my wife's stash, so I came from her. All right, so kiddos, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about uh, airplanes, and we're going to fold this first. I actually have a table, which is really handy. All right, so we're going to fold the airplane 
All right. And if you want, follow along, and you can learn how to do this with me. So you, when you get home, you're going to fold it like this. You're going to fold this corner down here. You paying attention? Here you go. Now we have kind of a house, right? Yeah. Oh, you know what? I forgot something. That's okay. And then we're going to fold it again. There it is. All right. Paper airplane, right? I'm going to fold it over. Grab these right here. All right, kids. Pop quiz time. Can you take an airplane to Disney World? Absolutely. Thank you. Can you take an airplane to California? Yes. Can you take an airplane to Wisconsin? Yes, you can. Can you take an airplane all the way to heaven? No. Okay. Well, all right. Let's try this then. All right. Here's what we're going to do. Got this. Got my handy scissors. All right, if we can't take an airplane, how about, what do you think? How about a rocket ship? Can we take a rocket ship to the moon? Can you take a rocket ship to Mars? Can we take a rocket ship to, he to heaven? No, I don't think so. You can't take an airplane to heaven. You can't take a rocket ship to heaven. The only thing you can take... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's about the most nervous I've been in a long time preaching. How's this going to go? Kids, how do you get to heaven? Only through the cross. Only because of what Jesus did on the cross. If you were paying really close attention, maybe you can learn how to do this. And uh, maybe you can ask Pastor Nate or Beth, and she'll help you out. Uh, if you want to talk to your friends about how to get to heaven. The cross. The cross is the only way that you and I can be made right with God. On Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection that shows that Jesus has power over sin and death, and he rose again. But we can't skip over the cross. As ugly and as brutal as that death was, the cross is important. In just a couple minutes, we're going to remember that Jesus' body was actually broken for us by receiving communion. If you're new to Mosaic, um, I'm a quirky pastor, and that's just what you have to live with. And so I refuse to buy prepackaged communion wafers because they're just the worst. They taste like fish food, so I'm really sorry. And so uh, we are one body, one family, and so we bake one loaf of bread and then break it up into pieces. And that's how we're going to do it for as long as we can. <laughs> and so uh, we have one body, one loaf of bread. 
and we're going to receive communion in a little bit, take the bread, dip it into the cup. And the bread reminds us that Jesus' body was broken for us. He really died on the cross. And the juice represents that his blood was shed for us. You don't have to be a member of Mosaic to receive communion. And then parents with your kids, it's up to you. If you want to explain communion anymore, if you want them to receive communion with them, or if you want to just let them know, hey, this is a special thing, uh, you need to wait, it's, it's really up to you. Um, but let's finish up our final passage in Luke 23. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. Now there's a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. Friday night is coming. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. That last verse in 23, I don't know how many times I've read that and, and I've breezed right by it. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Before we receive communion, I just want you to take a minute and think about that. Thursday night, Jesus has final dinner with his disciples. He washes their feet. He's betrayed. He goes to trial. All day Friday, he hangs on a cross. He dies. Before the sun sets, they have to get his body down. They have to prepare his burial because they can't do that work on Sabbath, which is sundown of Friday till sunup of Saturday morning of the next 24 hours later. And... And so the women who are there with Jesus, and we're going to talk on Sunday about those faithful women who are there even when the men aren't, they prepare all the spices, they get everything ready, they see where Jesus is laid, it's a brand new tomb, there can't be any mix-up, because a lot of times they would use the same tomb, stack a bunch of bodies in there, and then as they decayed, they'd pack up the bones later and then go get them. Brand new tomb, he's the only one in there, they know exactly where he's at, they're going to come back on Sunday to help prepare his body for what's going to happen next as he decays. They get everything ready. They see the tomb. They go back, and then it's Sabbath. And they don't do anything for 24 hours. I'd never really thought about that. And that day, though, that sometimes they would gather in synagogue like this. And I imagine those women, as they're whole world had come crashing down. The one they believed in was dead. And they're filled with grief. And yet, they come back to the familiar rows, the same people, the same scriptures, the same songs. Gives them comfort. There's nothing they can do. They can come back on Sunday morning to visit Jesus' his body, but nothing they can do for 24 hours. As we pause, as we receive communion and we look ahead towards Easter, 
I want you to know it's okay to pause, to just breathe, to not do, to not work. Because while they were waiting, Jesus was doing all the work necessary. He was conquering sin and hell and death. He was robbing the grave so that he could rise in victory. Wherever you are, Jesus is at work. It may not seem like it. It may seem dark and hopeless, but you can pause. You can lean into the familiar, have a Sabbath rest, and know that God is at work. I want to invite the band to come up. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to receive communion as the band leads us in one more song tonight. Jesus, we thank you that you went to the cross for us. We thank you that you are seeking and saving the lost. And even as you hung on that cross and you looked over, you saved that young man. God, let us be moved by the great lengths that you will go to seek and to save the great lengths that you have gone to seek and save us. So God, as we wait, as we reflect, as we pause, help us to trust that you are working. And not only that, you have finished. God, that it is finished because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So help us to have that confidence that we can rest in you. Be with us now, God, as we receive this communion, this tangible reminder of what you did for us. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing this song. And uh, at any time during this song, come down, receive communion. I'm going to throw a curveball out there. Um, it might be really special to meet some of your family. You want to huddle up and pray and receive communion together. If there's anyone here in your small group, maybe you want to huddle with them. Um, the Christian walk is meant to be done in community and not just sitting in a row watching a show. So I encourage you to receive communion in community. Pray with some others. Uh, let's do this together. Uh, let's sing and respond to our great God.